0: Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today we continue going through the presentations given at Faith Free Lutheran Church's Reformation Conference on Justification. Today, Pastor Steve Munfram talks about justification and theology. Unsure of how to proceed with the topic that was given me, Justification in theology, it uh, kind of a kind of a broad topic. There we go. Uh, and it could go a couple of different ways, uh, but I'm going to take it the way that you see there on the handout that I gave to you. Um, just thinking uh, reviewing, probably, or stating again the significance of justification. Uh, using a different passage than uh, uh, Dr. Haugen used, but there are many passages in Scripture, this one from Philippians chapter 3, that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And uh, so using then a definition of justification uh, for our consideration during this time on your handout I use this one without regard to sin for Christ's sake God in the gospel graciously declares the one who believes in Christ to be righteous in his sight without regard to sin to how how much or how little how good or bad just without regard to that but with regard to Christ for Christ's sake in view of what he has done uh, as our substitute on the cross in bearing uh, the judgment and the wrath of our sin, uh, God in the gospel graciously declares the believer in Christ to be righteous, to be righteous in his sight. Um, In terms of theology, um, one of the One of the greatest theologians that has ever lived was uh, Martin Luther. And uh, one of the reasons we're having, I think, having this uh, conference at this time is because we are in this 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. And uh, here's an interesting view of justification in Martin Luther's contribution from Bernard Loos in his uh, book, Martin Luther's Theology. And he says about Luther... It was the first time in all the history of theology and dogma that the decisive truth of Christian faith was concentrated in such fashion on one specific article. Not in Augustine or Peter Lombard or Thomas Aquinas or Bonaventure, to name but a few, is the entirety of theological reflection determined from such a center, however defined. Prior to the 16th century, the doctrine of justification never assumed a significance even remotely comparable to that in Luther. Since Augustine, in his dispute with Pelagius, the doctrine of sin and grace had been the continual object of reflection, particularly in scholasticism, which would be medieval theology. The doctrine had been variously developed, and particular aspects obviously discussed that Luther treated in a new way. Yet, such a concentration on one particular article, as we find in Luther, is without precedent. I don't know that we would be talking about justification the way we do today, if it had not been for the contribution of Martin Luther. Uh, God, in his gracious will, allowed Martin Luther to make a contribution to our understanding of justification, that has already been reflected in what has been said here today. And uh, it's fitting that we recognize that, especially at this point in uh, in history and in our, our own uh, celebration or recognition of the Reformation. So thinking a little bit about theology, uh, Theology, I'll just call, call it there the study of divine things or reflection on divine things, uh, thinking about what God has told us in his word. Uh, we've already been introduced in some of the comments that Sam made about, about the disciplines in theology, exegetical theology and systematic theology and practical, and we're involving a little bit of historical theology in my presentation. Uh, but when we think about the word systematic theology which is what I teach and, and what I love. Um, systematic theology has been described this way, as studying with a system, okay? which is fine. And, and normally, of course, when you read your Bible, you pick a book and you read through the book and you study it that way. And, of course, we do that in our Bible school and seminary. We do that in our Bible study here at church. And uh, you often do that in your own personal devotions. And that's perfectly wonderful. That's a great way to study the Word of God, but it can also be studied based upon topics. Uh, The the at the time of Luther they called them loci, which is just Hebrew or just Latin for topic. And a topic, you might ask, what does everything the Bible say about God? Then you'd study that, and what does everything the Bible say about Jesus, and you'd study that. What does everything the Bible say about salvation, and you'd study that. That would be a topical or a systematic study. That's one way to think about systematic theology, uh, but that's not really the one we're going to use today. Today we're going to use this definition of systematic theology. Systematic is studying the system of theology that can be found in Holy Scripture. And that is to say that our Bible isn't just a collection of books. It is a collection of books that God has put together. Not even more than to say something, but to do something. That God has included in our Bible doctrines. And those doctrines are intended to work like a system. And for example, I would use, uh, here in our church, in all your homes, you have a heating system. And heating system is made up of different parts. There's, a, there's, there's probably a fuel tank outside, or, or a or, or fuel line into the house, and there's a furnace, and then there's a plenum, and then there's ductwork that goes out through all the house, and then there's a thermostat, and all the different parts together make a system. And system has a purpose; it, it is designed to do something, and, and that is absolutely true of scripture. Our Bible is a system. It is a system that is designed to do something. Is this the one I want? Yes. Okay, Luther here, in this quotation, I think he gives us a wonderful uh, definition of of the system of Scripture, and this is the one on the top of the uh, quotation column there on your handout if you can read that better. Luther said, The proper subject of theology is man guilty of sin and condemned, and God the justifier and savior of man, the sinner. Whatever is asked or discussed in theology outside this subject is error and poison. All scripture points to this. And now right here, in this statement here, he tells what scripture does. God commends his kindness to us and in His Son restores to righteousness and life the nature that has fallen into sin and condemnation. You see the you see the activity that's involved in that statement. It is God restoring a, a creation that has fallen into sin and restoring it to Himself. And that is the system of Scripture. That, that's the purpose of it. That's the. The, the, the different parts, the different theological parts, and we're going to uh, at least offer a possible way to think about the parts as we uh, go on today. But as, as we think about that, the work that Scripture is intended to do. And I think this is very helpful if we think about this for a minute. Okay. I, I think the way most of the time we think about the Bible is that the Bible gives us information. And then we take this information and we do something with it. And I don't suppose that's necessarily wrong. But it's not the point that I want to make today. The Bible certainly gives us information, okay? But not so much for what we would do with it, as much as for what God would do with it. See, God gives us the truths because they are the parts of this system that is going to work in our lives to rescue us from our sin, and that is to to acknowledge then that scripture is more than just a collection of doctrines or a collection of books about doctrine or a collection of books about history, which are all true, but is also a system. It is something that works, and that as it works, lost sinners are brought into the saving grace of God, and are justified. And I think that justification is a very fitting term for what the system of Scripture is designed to do. It is designed to justify sinners. Scripture is working. Working every time we hear it, and every time we read it, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is working to justify sinners. Luther identifies the most important part of the system. A number of quotations here from Luther. This one is not on your sheet, but the article of justification is master and prince, lord, leader, and judge of all kinds of teachings, which preserves and guides all churchly teaching and establishes our consciences before God. Without this article, the world is in utter death and darkness. No error is so mean, so clumsy, and so outworn as not to be supremely pleasing to human reason and to seduce it, if we're without the knowledge and the contemplation of this article. Luther's view of justification, again in this one, if the article of justification is lost, all Christian doctrine is lost at the same time, and all the people in the world who do not hold to this justification are either Jews or Turks or Papists or heretics, for there's no middle ground between these two righteousnesses, and we haven't really had a clear uh, description of the two kinds of righteousness. Is that part of your presentation, Jason? Yeah, somewhat there. Um, But that's part of the whole idea of justification. That talks about the kind of righteousness we have before God. And then sanctification is the other kind of righteousness, the righteousness we have before man. And these must be kept separate. There's no middle ground between them. The active one of the law and the passive one which comes from Christ. Therefore, the man who strays from Christian righteousness or justification must relapse into the active one. That is, since he has lost Christ, he must put confidence in his own works. And then one more, justification is the central article of our teaching, Luther said. Justification is the sun, the day, the light of the church. And then in that last quotation, that comes the formula of concord. And the formula of concord Takes up Luther's qu- qu- actually quotes Luther here, uh, so they are they are affirming then as a body of doctrine for the Lutheran Church what Luther taught. If this one teaching stands in its purity, then Christendom will also remain pure and good, undivided and unseparated. Where it does not remain pure, it is impossible to ward off any error or sectarian spirit. <clears throat> All right. Just to take a minute here then, as we have already noted, that in Luther, like never before, never since, and think of that, that's 1,500 years of church history, never before since Luther had the church looked at the doctrine of justification as intensely as they do at at the time of Luther. Uh, Prior to Luther, there are a couple of things that we could say about uh, general understanding of justification, and this is based upon uh, Alistair McGrath's study of justification. He says perhaps the most distinctive feature of Luther's mature doctrine of justification is the emphasis he places on its theological centrality. He's the one who says this is the center. And, and by saying it's a center, okay, he is then saying that it's, it's the primary part of the system, the primary part of the if, if I can even use the word, <laughs> the machine. Okay? If you think of machines, do things, and Scripture is doing something, and the most important part in what Scripture does is justification. That's the, it's the key part. It's kind of like the furnace in the heating system. It's the center. It's the key part. Okay? Lo- looking back then prior to Luther, the early church didn't have a doctrine of justification, it didn't have to develop doctrine of justification. The early church, if you're familiar with the early years of the church and the different theological issues that came up, the early church was very much intent on the doctrine of the Trinity because of false teaching. It was very intent on the doctrine of the person of Christ, also because of false teaching. And it was very intent on, on the ability of man. What, what can man do because of Uh, the teaching of Pelagius. And so the early church, uh, if we go back and read the writings of the church fathers from the earliest period, none of them dwell on the doctrine of justification. They might mention it in the course of other arguments they're making, but they don't develop it. And then then the greatest theologian of the early period, Augustine, is described by uh, McGrath this way, there is no hint in Augustine, Of any notion of justification purely in terms of reputing as righteous or treating as righteous or declaring righteous is no forensic view at all in Augustine of justification. Augustine has an all-embracing transformative understanding of justification. In other words, in Augustine's doctrine, you're not justified until goodness is seen in your life. God might, be, God might be declaring us or, or, or reckoning justification to us, but it is not separated from sanctification like it has been presented to us today in the biblical sense. Augustine had a transformative view that, that justification is the process by which God makes us better people. And that, was, that was Augustine. And then the medieval gospel, and Luther talks about this a lot in his commentary on Galatians. Uh, this, was the, this was the gospel in medieval theology. If a man does what lies within him, God infallibly gives him grace. That's not justification, is it? It's nowhere near justification. But that was, that was as far as the gospel was understood in medieval theology. So if you can think about what we have talked about in the last minutes. okay, That that was the condition of the church. When Luther started to teach that God reckons us righteous in Christ. That he declares us righteous in light of what Jesus had done on the cross. Revolutionary. It was was light shining in the darkness. And it, it was exactly that. The church was floundering with with, with with something they were calling the gospel that isn't even the gospel. Just because it mentions grace doesn't make it the gospel. Because, because all of the responsibility in that gospel is on the man. It's on what you are doing. It is on whether you are doing what you are capable of doing. And if you are doing what you are capable of doing, well, you can count on God to take care of the rest. And that's not justification. That's not... It's Not Bible, either, I don't think okay so so when we get to Luther, uh, we find Luther understanding and teaching justification in terms of the central teaching of theology and uh, and and the the heart of the gospel and of scripture so i'm I'm going to present, and this is kind of this bottom part of your handout uh one way to think about what is. The system in the Bible, uh, using the illustration I already gave you of of a machine or a, a system like your heating system with the different parts and the different parts that are working together to accomplish something. And, and I, you know, I'm going to just admit that there's there's entirely it's entirely possible that the parts that I've chosen and the order that I put them in is somewhat arbitrary. And Of course that's one of the risks of systematic theology is that well we're going to define the system how we want to and we're going to kind of make scripture say what we want it to say and I hope that's not the case uh, and if you think that that my the way I explain the system is not faithful to scripture uh, by all means we can we can deal with that but this is I'm just going to present this as one way for us to view the different parts and you see i have i have Five parts, okay? Four around the edge and then the one in the middle. And I hope that we can see that in these, in these teachings of Scripture, God is taking these different teachings, and as they work together, God actually can accomplish the fact in your life, my life, and in the life of every sinner, that that one believes that Christ is their Savior because he has declared them righteous. And they then are, are, an, are a possessor of spiritual life through that, and an heir of heaven, a child of God. So the first one, God is the righteous judge. And this is actually stated uh, in Psalm 711, God is the righteous judge. And, and I, I think the, the reason I chose to put this one in is because this draws in the Old Testament so nicely. Uh, the Doctrine of Justification, as we see it presented so clearly in the New Testament, Galatians and Romans and and other places, doesn't have nearly that kind of presentation in the Old Testament. And and so the question may be asked, where does the Old Testament fit in? Well, in the Old Testament, the idea of God as judge is just prominent. It's, It's central in what we see in the Old Testament. And the whole world is his courtroom. The, the word forensic, it comes from the Latin word for forum, courtroom, uh, the place in which judgments or decisions are made. And connected to that, I think, is the idea of the image of God. Okay, we are created in the image of God. And why is it significant that that man and women have the image of God and the animals do not? Well, among other things, it means that 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 men and women will have to give an account in the courtroom. Okay, and the elephants won't be, won't, be called to, won't be called to judgment. And the horses won't be called to judgment. And the mosquitoes, lucky for them, won't be called to judgment because they would have a nasty judgment on the mosquitoes. But we will. We bear the image of God. And that means that, that we will have to account for ourselves before God in the, in the judgment. And he is, the, he is the, ju- the right judge, the righteous judge. And we then are constantly under God's judgment. And this is the thing that, that so distressed Luther in, his early, in the early parts of his life. He, was, he knew that God was a, was a judge. And he had difficulty thinking of God in any other way than as a demanding judge and tried everything he possibly could to convince himself that when he stood before the judge he'd be okay and none of it worked and he said I hated the righteous God That's what he says when he reflects on his I, I don't know, know if conversion is the right sense or not but the, the big turning point in his life Said when he said, when he thought about that, he was just scared. He was terrified of the righteousness. I hated that judge. Until he understood the declared righteousness of God. And coming to understand that this judge has a way to judge us, by which we are judged righteous, rather than judged a sinner. And so the uh, fundamental, an important part of the system as I'm presenting it here today, is God the judge. Then the second second one, Christ is the world's redeemer. And Sam has shared with us very uh, effectively and clearly this idea that Christ has redeemed the world. That there is no one who is outside the work of Jesus Christ in his redeeming and in his uh, uh, um, representing us before God no one is excluded from that his death and resurrection form the legal grounds for god's verdict and this is significant isn't it if god is going to going to declare sinners just well in his courtroom some just reason needs to be presented okay some some something that conforms to to justice needs to be presented for God to make such a judgment. And Jesus is that ground. He is the legal ground. His death and resurrection, His perfect life, His perfect death, His resurrection as, as an affirmation of the moral perfection of Jesus, even as He carried all our sins, is the ground upon which God can make that judgment of you and make it of me. And so... the the Christian has his focus on Jesus. And our faith is directed toward Christ on the cross as he bears our sin and as he suffers in our place. As he is the redeemer of the world. And God speaks his verdict of the world then through Jesus. That Jesus in his death and resurrection is God's verdict, thinking in terms here again of of, of judgment and the courtroom, the verdict is given through Jesus. And so it says in Second Corinthians five nineteen uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, uh, not counting the trespass against them. Christ then is the world's Redeemer. That's the second part of the system. The third part of the system is this the gospel is God's word. God's judgment against sin is announced in the gospel. You know that moment in the courtroom where the hush falls because the jury has reached a decision and the verdict is about to be announced and everybody holds their breath. Okay? That's that's where the gospel, the gospel is proclaimed to the world. That sinners... Are righteous in Christ. God announces this verdict in the gospel, which is the word of God, and there is no other way to be assured of God's verdict. Uh, this is this is one that I that I struggle with. You know, if God has announced me righteous. I should be able to feel that in my heart somewhere, shouldn't I? Shouldn't I be able to feel that? If God has done that amazing thing of announcing me, right, she's passed the verdict. Think about if you're in that courtroom and the judgment is made for you of not guilty and you know you are, the elation and the and the excitement and the joy that you would feel. Okay. And, and of course, we have in our lives those moments where we feel really good and we have those moments where we feel really bad. But But you know that... That is not the way God intends us to know what his judgment of us is. And, and we also don't know that justice based upon, that, or that judgment based upon what we see in our lives. That, well, if I'm more or less living the way God wants me to live, then I can be assured that the just judgment of God is for me. But, you know, if I'm living more or less against the way God has wanted me to live, then I probably shouldn't believe that the judgment is for me. See, neither of those are the ways in which we know the verdict of God. There's only one way to know the verdict of God towards you. And that is in the gospel. What God says in his word. That doesn't never changes. And God announces in his word. In John 3.16 and in Galatians 2.18. That pastor or 17, I think it was, that Pastor Haugen was sharing, and the one that we looked at at the beginning of this in Philippians 3, God is announcing there his verdict of you. And, 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 and we tend to think that that gospel is just announcing God's judgment of the world. But, but, but it's more than that. God is announcing his verdict on you. And I, and I could think of, I remember this vividly in my mind, I was talking about this in Confirmation one time, and there was a, a student in, conf- in Confirmation there, and I was just talking, well, how do you know that God has de- has has declared you righteous? And I said, well, take, for example, you're reading this this Bible story uh, about this person who came to Jesus and was dealing with their problem, whatever it was, and Jesus in that story says to them, go your way, your sins are forgiven. And I said, that, that is Jesus telling you that your sins are forgiven. And she got just the most, most the brightest, biggest smile on her face that, that I, I just remembered vividly. Because, because she had personalized the gospel. And she knew that when God was saying that in his word, he wasn't just talking about the world, he was talking about her. And that's how it works. The gospel works personally. When you and when I hear the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, God is talking to you. And it's, you know, we always think it's talking about someone else, don't we? We always think that's what it's about. But the system is designed to save you. And when God, through his word, announces the gospel to you, that personally is the affirmation of your salvation. And so I put this this quote here on the bottom of the gray column that I love so much in connection with that. One thing and one thing alone is necessary for life, justification, and Christian liberty. And that is the most holy word of God, the gospel of Christ. As he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me shall never die. And also, if the Son shall make you free you shall be free indeed. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Let us therefore hold it for certain and firmly established that the soul can do can do without everything except the word of God, without which none at all of its wants are provided for. But having the word, it is rich, And wants for nothing, since that is the word of life, of truth, of light, of peace, of justification, of salvation, of joy, of liberty, of wisdom, of virtue, of grace, of glory, and of every good thing. The gospel is the word of God. And then the fourth uh, part is faith, is receiving God's verdict. The judge sinner hears the gospel. And hearing the gospel, the judge sinner believes. And faith is the gift of God. I like the way that Paul explains this in Romans chapter 4. He talks about Abraham. And Abraham believing that he would be the heir of many nations. You know, Abraham has only one reason to believe that. He doesn't believe it because he looks at his body and he sees Sarah's body. and He says, yeah, I think we're still capable of, of having a child. There's no There's no hope there. I mean, there's nothing biological. He looks at all the women, you know, nothing there. There's only one reason why why Abraham would believe that he's going to be the heir of nations. And that's God promised. And that promise, because it was working in Abraham's life, caused him to to trust the promise of God and believe and and be. Credited righteous. And that is, that is what the gospel does. We hear it and believe it and are counted righteous. And then the last point, the, the center point, the declaration of righteousness. And you see, I hope, how, the, how these other doctrines of scripture all, all work together. To this declaration of righteousness. That, that the judgment of God and the, the completed reconciliation of Christ and God speaking that truth in the gospel and the Spirit working faith in our hearts So all these things as they work together in a system result in justification. Result in The sinner, you and me, being confident today that we will not stand before God and have to give account of our sins. But we'll be able to stand before God and have Jesus give account of his work on our behalf and that we in that are declared righteous. God judges the sinner just for Christ's sake without regard to sin. And this is, I think, a way for us to think about justification and theology. Uh, The system that God is working with. not, Not the information that God has given us whereby we justify ourselves. No. The system where the parts are working together by which God declares you and I just and righteous in His sight. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Join us next week for the final presentation that was given at Faith Free Lutheran Church's Reformation Conference by Pastor Jason Goodham on justification and sanctification. God bless you and have a great week.